And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer back with you here for another week and we have a a fun result to talk about what a game Clemson Notre Dame I mean normally you get these huge matchups and they disappoint this was one that actually lived up to the billing and was just outstanding uh, start to finish except for a few uh, too many reviews late in the game and in overtime Uh, we're going to talk to Matt Fortuna today uh, he's back. He's part of the Three Timers Club, along with Grace Rayner, which means we really like him. We keep bringing him back, and he always does a great job for us. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Matt Fortuna, our national college football writer. You can listen to him on the Shamrock. Perhaps most impressively, recently certified as an 8 out of 10 on Room Raider uh, on Twitter. Matt, how how proud are you of that rating? That's pretty good. I'm very proud. I, I, I told a couple friends, and I'll send the invite to you, if you're ever in Chicago... I will let you get a free tour, kind of like the SNL experience, you know. And I believe now three times hosting, two more gets me in the five time club, which is also a pretty big uh, recognition if you're an SNL house. So uh, my head will not fit in this screen by the end of the show. I mentioned that to Grace last week about the five timers club, and she looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> like, I don't think she's uh, up to date to the five timers club from the Saturday Night Live. Uh, catalog there. I must be showing my age by doing that. I see we're, we're not getting the Room Raider background here. It's you're, funny. We're in the same the basic. We're, we, Pete said the same thing to me on the Shamrock, Pete Sampson. Um, we're in the same room, um, but since no one is going to see me other than you and our producer, John, I uh, uh, I was not as worried about appearances. I do appreciate the Wrigley Field shirt you have on, though, considering I live a stone's throw away from that building right now. Yeah, that was uh, from our uh, company outing to uh, <laughs> Chicago, which was just over a little year over a year ago, which feels like ten oh, years God, ago yeah. at this point. All right, let's get to the game. The game from last week: uh, Notre Dame beats Clemson forty-seven to forty, double overtime. Uh, what an incredible game! I mean, that was just so fun to watch a game like that. And see, you know, punches, counter punches, big plays, you know, turnovers that turn into big plays. Uh, what is your biggest takeaway coming out of that game? It was awesome. I mean, you hope when you get a game of that magnitude with the two highest ranked ACC teams on one field in conference history that you could go into the fourth quarter maybe and have it be a fourth quarter game um, and that it you know has a chance of living up to that hype. Not only was it tied entering the fourth quarter. Uh, there were plot twists all over the place throughout the fourth quarter and overtime and double overtime. And uh, it, it was just a, a remarkable scene. I mean, uh, I said this on the Shamrock. A, uh, a friend of mine whose kid w- was there and probably stormed the field said, son, I'm very happy that your generation finally got 
a Notre Dame football highlight in high definition because they might not have had one, really, if you think about it. Um, this was their first win over number one in 27 years. We all know what happened the week after that. I'm sure we'll talk about that on this. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's on the slate. Um, but it, it was also, I mean, it was... Look, Notre Dame's slogan is graduating champions. They built statues of coaches there who win national championships. Brian Kelly will only get that national and internal recognition from his fan base if he wins a national championship. Um, that said, uh, I, I, I think he's done. It, it's very easy to forget because he's been there so long just how bad this program was when he's got there and how good of a job he's done and in, in, in lasting 11 years and, and, for the most part, driving over 11 years there. Um, you know, a BCS title game berth, a playoff berth, being in the mix a couple of other years and obviously being number two this year. Um, but he never had that big win. Um, you know, the, the the Alabama BCS title game, 42-14, the Clemson playoff semifinal, 33, 30-3. Those really, you know, it's like Notre Dame spends all his time climbing up to this mountain only to get kicked right to the bottom right when they get there. And they've had very strong performances on big stages under Brian Kelly. Um, they just haven't won any of them. And, and this looked like it was going to be another one of those, whether it was the two losses to Georgia, uh, a loss on the road to defending national champion Florida State uh, on a controversial call in the end zone on the second to last play of the game. Um, th- they've had so many, you know, Clemson uh, 2015, they lost on a two-point conversion and that Clemson team ended up going to the national title game that year. Uh, they've shown up, um, but that's not good enough when when you are Notre Dame football and you have the, the tradition and the expectations that you have. You need to break through. You need to throw a punch and announce to the rest of the world that you've arrived and that you can play with anybody. And uh, as crazy as it says, if they go on to lose that game and double overtime, triple overtime, whatever it may be, I don't think the the, the excitement of the game loses luster because it's a great game regardless, but um, it just becomes another in a long line of, of, of Notre Dame almost wins. And um, I can't tell you how many times throughout the fourth quarter and in overtime watching that game, I just I felt like I had my story pre-written. It was like, here we go again. Like they almost did it, and they're going to tell us again how close they are. And no one wants to hear it after 11 years. But they did the damn thing, and you got to tip your cap to them. I don't care who was on or not on the field for Clemson. Notre Dame, you know, proved itself and won on that huge stage. Yeah, I think the fear with this result was that it was going to somehow be diminished. Well, oh, Trevor Lawrence didn't play. Oh, Clemson had some guys missing. You know, DJ Uyangalale. 439 passing yards. Poor guy's got to go to the bench now. He just set a record uh, for passing yards against Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, but but Notre Dame played very well. I mean, they suffocated Clemson's rushing game. They went out there. They made plays offensively that I think a lot of people, myself included, didn't know if they could go out there and make those plays. That felt like as legit of a victory over a number one team as you'll see out there. And, you know, even if Trevor Lawrence comes back later in the year, like, you know, Clemson will be better with him in the game. But it's not like this chasm of a difference, I feel like, between him and Uyangalale. Uh, let's spin this forward a little bit. We're going to see these teams again in the ACC championship, aren't we? And, and assuming that, the ACC seems like it's very well lined up to get two teams in this playoff uh, how do you see this sort of playing out uh, going forward? That's part of it, right? I think when we first heard a week before the game that, that Trevor Lawrence would, would not play, there was a lot of, especially from Notre Dame fans, which I understand was, ugh, it was terrible. If we win, people are just going to say it doesn't matter. You know, they, they were missing a generational prospect. You're going to have to do it again anyway. 
it's not going to mean much. And I think the way Notre Dame won that game and the way that you described, like really, you know, taking it to them physically. I mean, holding them to I think 34 rushing yards on 33 carries, which is absolutely insane, um, and, and making the big plays defensively uh, in double overtime to clinch it. Um, I, I think Notre Dame put themselves in a position where yes. The Clemson team they face on December 19th, likely face, I should say, um, on December 19th will not be the Clemson team they played on November 7th. That said, uh, Trevor Lawrence was his own kind of headline. The injuries on defense were a whole other, and I, I think that had a much more significant impact on the way that game unfolded than Trevor Lawrence. And that's not to take anything away from Trevor Lawrence, but again, DJ Uyangalale is freaking awesome. Um, and there's there, there's not a huge drop-off, as you would expect, when the greatest quarterback prospects at Andrew Luck is not playing. Um, so I think Notre Dame put themselves in position to, to maybe get the benefit of the doubt here, which you don't always say about the Irish. I think you know if they run the table and they do it fairly convincingly, and if they play another close game against Clemson, say they lose by single digits, you'll have a hard time convincing me that they're, those two teams in that ACC title game are not two of the four best teams in the country, at least from where we sit here right now. On November twelfth, I mean, I think if Ohio State runs a table and, and plays enough games, uh, which hopefully they will, yeah, five and zero, oh, is that going to be that impressive? <laughs> five and zero, oh, six zero oh, ain't going to get done. I think eight and zero oh with a Big Ten title game win will. Um, I don't see anyone being Alabama. Um, uh, you know, hypothetically, if Florida were to run the table and beat Alabama in the SEC title game, that, then that would present its own situation. I don't see that happening, but I feel pretty comfortable right now saying Alabama, uh, Ohio State. The winner of Clemson Notre Dame Part Two, and um, if it's Notre Dame who's losing and losing in non-blowout fashion, Notre Dame as the four best teams in the country. Now, our friends in Cincinnati are, are, are going to probably not like that, but I think that's the reality of the situation right now. I just don't. I mean, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to do enough playing a conference-only schedule, and hopefully for their sake, getting seven games in from USC or Oregon. I, I don't think that's going to be enough to, to get over a one-loss Notre Dame or Clemson team. Um, I just think right now, and again, who knows what gets played, what doesn't get played, who gets hurt, how this affects stuff on the field. It seems like a fairly clear situation to me right now um, as far as like who's in position to take those four spots. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the Pac-12. I feel like you can eliminate them because they're starting so late and playing so few games. The Big 12 is going to beat up on each they're not other. Good, yeah. uh, the Big 10 doesn't even feel like it's going to get to five games for some of these teams. I mean, like Wisconsin looked really great, and that might be a team other than Ohio State you think might have a chance, but they're just not going to have a, a, a deep mean, enough resume yeah. to be able to do no, something I, I say, like look, that. they play seven games, and their seventh game is a route of undefeated Ohio State. Then, yeah. we can, then we can talk. I don't see that happening, though. Doubtful. The committee has uh, shown it has no respect for non-Power 5 teams in its history. I, I can't imagine that would change in a year like this where those group, group of five teams are not really playing any power five teams. They don't even have that crossover that they can point to like, oh, we beat uh, you know, Georgia Tech or something like that, even if it's not a, a top flight. Uh, here's my, here's my theory. And remember, I'm, I'm sitting here in Chicago. If Alabama were to lose a game between now and then, I say we move the semifinals to Columbus, Ohio, and South Bend, and we have Indiana play Notre Dame and Cincinnati play Ohio State. And then the two winners play at Lucas Oil Stadium for it all. Why, why need the other 48 states when you've got the four best teams in the country in Indiana and Ohio? 
Yeah, that might be a way to go. I don't know. The way, <laughs> the way COVID is trending in the Midwest, I don't know if we're yeah, going to be enough. going to that spot. Right or to now. an indoor stadium, yeah. Right. Let's. Uh, I wanted to go through the full slate of ACC games. I, I did want to talk about one game last week uh, in a second, but you mentioned it before. Uh, Notre Dame goes to Boston College this week. Uh, fighting Irish fans do not need to be reminded <laughs> of a couple of past incidents uh, where they have come off a big win or been undefeated, and, and Boston College has spoiled the party, most famously in 1993, that last-second field goal. I remember watching that. Like I, I wasn't like a huge college football fan then, but I remember like watching that kick live, and it, it almost kind of knuckled through, or it, it didn't seem like the truest field goal going through, but he hit it. Uh, Notre Dame, 13.5-point favorites in this game at Boston College. Uh do, do you have to circle this one and go, hey, there's a history here. There's precedent here that, that Boston College can do it. And I mean, this, by the way, delicious storyline in this with Phil Dracovic, uh at Boston College. I mean, how poetic is this that he gets a chance to go against his former team and, and possibly play spoiler? I'll say this. If Notre Dame lost last week and if that Ian Book fumble into the end zone ended up being like decisive, which it would have been if they lost, Notre Dame would not, I mean, we'd still be talking four or five days later about how Ian Book might not have been the right quarterback for Notre Dame and how Phil Dracovic is doing so good at Boston College that did Notre Dame play this thing wrong? I mean, I'm not saying that's correct, but that would be a storyline that would be absolutely killed nationally um, day after day after day. And, and that would frustrate the hell out of everyone at Notre Dame. And you don't know what kind of effect that would have on them coming off a loss. The last time they lost the game, uh, last year at Michigan, you were there. I was there. They played Virginia Tech, a team that they, they, they probably should have beat fairly handily. And that was the tightest I've ever seen that team come out, maybe, in, in 10 years of covering them. And it took uh, a lot of stones for me and Buck to lead a, a fourth down, or excuse me, a fourth quarter last drive comeback that featured multiple fourth down conversions and uh, a, a quarterback sneak, if you will, on his own on third down with, with no timeouts left to win the game. And um, you could just feel the collective burden lifted lifted off Ian Book in that program's shoulders in the stadium that day. So, um, yes, if Notre Dame had lost to Clemson and Ian Book fumbled the ball into the end zone, would Notre Dame had a chance to, to put that game away? We would hear about this ridiculous amount. We're, we already are hearing about it a lot, um, but but it, it wouldn't be like the legitimate controversial storyline uh, that it could have been. Um, I don't think anyone in Notre Dame right now has buyer's remorse about Ian Buck after what he did last week against Clemson. It was interesting to hear Phil Dracovic say yesterday on a Zoom call. Um, you know, everyone knows it didn't work out for him in Notre Dame, and, and he's made a number of comments in the past about how he chose Boston College for the people and not for the brand and so forth. Um, he was very, you know, he said all the right things. Said he, you know, I still talk to my recruiting class, my recruiting classmates from Notre Dame. You know, just not this week, yada yada yada. Um, but you know, the last question someone asked. How hard was it? Like, it's easy for us to say, hey, you switch teams. We're like, no, you got to leave school. You got to re enroll. You got to, you know, fly to another part of the country, meet new teammates. And he's like, it was really hard. But, you know, he's like, got to the point where, like, I almost switched positions. I was so miserable there. Like, I just, I, I had to get on the field. I had to do something for myself. Um, and the actual follow up was, which position? He said, I don't know. And I didn't care. I just wanted to get on the field. Um, so there is a juicy storyline there, even if some of the, um, some of the the, the, the the meat of it, you know, was was, was killed a little bit uh, through Notre Dame's win last week. I, I do think uh, there's a history factor. There's a factor of, of emotional letdown for Notre Dame. If there was ever a great time to be getting a 5-3 and three team, it's right now. Boston College is playing its ninth game in nine weeks. 
was a first-year head coach who had no real offseason, and they're playing number one and number two twice in a three-week span. I mean, emotion's only going to get you so far in this game if you're Boston College. And the Eagles aren't exactly coming in flying high. 16-13 win against Syracuse last no, week. No, and, and yeah. I, I fully <laughs> expected that to be a letdown performance for them because, again, look where it was placed on the schedule. Syracuse, which hasn't been able to really do anything through a new starter quarterback in there, you knew they'd have some form of life. Um, and, and that's what I mean. I mean, it's just nine games, nine weeks is really, really tough, especially right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that Virginia Tech game last year. Uh, is such a turning point for Notre Dame. That was a, a very, like, still fighting its footing Virginia Tech team <laughs> playing with... Uh, back first, quarterback. A quarterback who was starting for the first time that really couldn't throw the ball that well. I mean, he, he had a really bad day throwing it on that day. It was a little windy, but still, uh, you know, really the Hokies had no business being in that game. It's a good segue because I wanted to go to the, <laughs> o- the other result from last week that I wanted to revisit because I honestly, I watched it live and I still cannot believe it happened. Uh, Virginia Tech losing to Liberty 38 to 35. Uh, after appearing to block a field goal for a walk-off touchdown win, only Justin Fuente called timeout. Did I mention it was a 59-yard field goal that he called timeout beforehand on? Uh, the Hokies then followed up by not getting lined up correctly in defense. They're playing in a prevent when it's fourth and six. Liberty just throws a little quick out to the sideline for an easier field goal and, of course, kicks a 51-yard field goal to end the game. Uh, I am still kind of stunned uh, that Fuente is defending the timeout the way that he has. He said that uh, he said he wasn't trying to ice the kicker, and I believe him with that. He said he calls timeout to get the right field goal personnel on the field, uh, and he does that all the time. And I'm still just amazed that the situation doesn't change when the other team is lining up for a 59-yard field goal. And you think, maybe I don't want to give this team more time to think better of this option. Uh, I'm kind of close to the situation here because I've been in it all week. I'm curious, as somebody who's you know maybe observing from the outside, what what is your thought process on his decision making there? It's funny. I was in the press box actually at Northwestern Saturday. Um, that game had just ended, and uh, our colleague Mitch Sherman, our Nebraska writer, w- w- was sitting six feet from me, and I put the iPad in between us so we could watch that final sequence unfold. And we didn't have volume, so we're going crazy, not knowing what the heck's going on. And then Liberty, you know, gets their second chance, and, and they capitalize. Hey, I did say on this podcast, Liberty is a, a true independent that plays a semi-ACC schedule with a religious-based institution that's going undefeated, and that still holds true, and could still hold true if they beat NC State. I mean, do we need yeah, to talk about? Thir- do we need to talk about Liberty in the team. playoff? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Hugh Freeze got an extension today, which I'm sure means he'll stay there forever. But um, it's interesting. I don't. Justin Fuente is going to take a lot of crap for this, and I understand that. He's the head coach. And to me, the defensive lineman, when he gave up the eight-yard, when Virginia Tech gave up the eight-yard pass to set up field goal, that to me is the inexcusable part. That's that, was the, that was the egregious part. That's, I call that, I that, call that is, coaching malpractice. That is really bad. I'm not as, I know everyone has their, their takes um, when it comes to icing the kicker. I, I don't hate it, to be honest. I mean – on a field, I, I get where you're coming from when you say, 
hey, don't give them another chance to think this over because I never think a deep – I mean, I think when you're kicking a field goal that deep at the end of a half or, or a, a game, more bad things can happen than good. I mean, we saw Notre Dame try a 57-yarder at the end of the second quarter and Travis Etienne almost returned it all the way for a touchdown if not for Notre Dame's punter um, making a game-saving tackle. Um, so from that standpoint, I get it. You don't want to give them another chance to think. That said, I mean – I think it was a Chiefs-Chargers game in, in week two or week three this year where um, in overtime, Harrison Bucker, the, the Chiefs kicker, line up for a 53-yarder, hits it. There's a penalty. They go back five yards. Uh, uh, Anthony Lynn ices the kicker, kicks it again. He ends up hitting all three, but me, who has chicken legs, I, I can't imagine this. It has to take the life out of a kicker to make him kick a ball 50-plus yards three straight times in a row and expect him to hit it. Um so I understand the like mental and physical fatigue and kind of gamesmanship factor that goes into that. So I'm not, I mean, it looks bad. It's, you know, you feel bad for the guys on the field who made the play only to find out that their coach, you know, quote unquote ruined it for them. But I, I'm just not there as far as what are you doing? Calling a timeout ice in the kicker. Like I, I'm fine with that strategy. Um, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it does. I get the philosophy by it. And if he didn't do it, and they kick it and they win it. He's getting the same questions probably about why didn't you use why didn't you use your last time out? Uh, but but the, the the play afterward is just inexcusable. And look, heads up to Liberty because you know it's easy for me to say you know hindsight's twenty twenty. But I'm watching that and I see Liberty line up and I'm expecting a hail mary um, as everyone else is, I'm sure you know because that's just the way our mind was wired after seeing them line up for a kick. So um, that, that that staff, the Virginia Tech coach staff, had to put their players in better situations there. Um, you know, Liberty made that look way too easy, and that, that should never be the case, especially when you have uh, a team that's you know been the FBS for what five years uh, against uh, a high-profile ACC team. Three years. Three years. This is I'm year sorry. three for Liberty. Uh, <laughs> just a, another bit of information on the field goal. That kicker was two for six on field goals of longer than 29 yards in his career. They're going to say longer than 50. but <laughs> uh, 42 of a career long. Uh, so just the odds of him making that to me. What would Frank Beamer so, have done? <laughs> so low. I mean, that's that's the, the pain of it for Virginia Tech fans is that would have been the most Beamer ball ending right. to a game in history. And, and I'll be honest, like flirting with that sort of victory and then not getting it is yeah. just not helping Fuente's cause uh, at Virginia Tech. I mean, this fan base is out for blood right now. And, and, of course, you know, they're like that all the time. But, I mean, this is a team that in the last three years has lost to Old Dominion, given that program a, a defining highlight for its uh, football program. Uh, lost to Duke last year by 35, which I know Duke is not a pushover anymore, but that was a bad Duke team. Mm -hmm. It turned out to be a bad Duke team, and they got embarrassed at home by them. And now this year they lose to Liberty. And I realize Liberty is ranked. I realize this is a better team than people are giving them credit for, myself included. I think Malik Willis is, is legit as a quarterback, but it is still a non-Power 5 team in Virginia, and you know the Hokies are just giving this team more oxygen within the state and more of a foothold in terms of building a program, and that is tough for a lot of Virginia Tech stand, fans to, to stomach. And Honestly, I just cannot figure out this team. I mean, I'm, I'm close to this team, and I see it every day, and I just, from week to week, I have no idea what to expect with this group. Uh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that, because from afar, I have no freaking clue what's That going was on what there. I was going to ask you. What, what do you see from this team? Uh, from I, I afar, do you just go, since, I, I throw your since, hands up? Since year three of Justin Fuente, 2018, when they you know pulled the miracle out to beat Virginia and, and go to a bowl game, uh, 
I, I, it's just been a very confusing place to, to kind of identify and box in from afar. Um, you know, I've said over and over again, I mean, that transition uh, in 2016 went about as smooth and as delightful, at least externally, as I've ever seen at any level of football because, you know, you see it even in high schools, you know, in every state. Guys who have put in the work and the time that Frank Beamer has just don't go off quietly. Um, they tend to burn the whole house down on their way out and make life as difficult as possible um, for their successor. And, you know, for, for Virginia Tech to, in that first year, I believe Justin Fuente won ACC Coach of the Year. They were player two away from beating Clemson in the ACC title game. That Clemson team ended up winning it all that year. And a lot closer than people remember. Yeah, I mean, They exactly. got down to the 20-yard line with a chance to tie or win that game. I mean, well, it's funny you say that because we had Eric McLean on our uh, Shamrock podcast, and Pete said, Eric, Eric, you know, when's the last time we even had an ACC title game that was meaningful? And he was like, well, my senior year, we played North Carolina, you know, in a game that came down to eight points. And I'm, I'm like, I want to say the Virginia Tech game the year after was pretty good too. I don't remember all the specifics of it, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty good game. Um, and then, you know, Right after 2018, you know, it was the transfers, you had the quarterback injuries, um, you, had, you know, the, the reports coming out about, you know, all the, the friction internally and how some players were bullying others into dropping passes or what have you. It, it was just a lot to, to digest. And so, you know, I, I was impressed in their ability to turn things around in season last year and right the ship because they all looked left for dead after that Duke game. And there they were really really close to beating Notre Dame which I know doesn't count for a whole lot but you know you don't do that unless you have your stuff together and really really close to, to winning the division um, which is no consolation when you lose a division to a rival that hadn't beat you in more than a decade but you know you're only in those positions to win those games if you have some of your stuff together so you know there, there have been games this year where they've looked unstoppable offensively um, there have been games like the Wake Forest one and last week where you're like, you know, who's wearing these helmets and jerseys? Because it doesn't look like the same guys uh, that were playing, you know, against NC State um, or, or even against uh, offensively against North Carolina. Um, so it's just a really, really hard team to figure out week to week. And, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I, I don't think, I mean, with Notre Dame Clubs there, I don't think Virginia Tech was ever going to be in position to, to play for the ACC title this year. But, I don't know how good Miami is as a number three. Um, I mean, I don't think they're like this dominant team that separated themselves from the rest of the pack. I think they're gettable. And I think Virginia Tech, and this may be a segue, <laughs> would be capable of catching them. But but I just think it's going to be too much ground to make up between now and then um, as far as – well, I guess in the division it won't be because that Liberty game only counts as uh, – doesn't count as a conference loss. But it's it's – you know, Virginia Tech just, just kind of embodies the rest of the ACC and the ACC Coastal. I know we're not supposed to say that this year, but who are we kidding? The Coastal will always be the Coastal. You know who agrees with you that Miami is maybe not separate from uh, the rest of the league there is Vegas. Because Virginia Tech, team in turmoil that just lost to Liberty and the fans are out uh, you know, burning effigies outside of Justin Fuente's house, is a two-point favorite against Miami this week like I realize these people that set the lines know what they're doing and I still just cannot wrap my head around this line uh I'll say this Virginia Tech has bounced back very well under Justin Fuente 13 and 4 in the regular season coming off of losses uh every time they've lost is a double digit favorite sort of those deflating losses and it's happened four times or five times now but the previous four times they've come back the next week and won 
Uh, that included last, uh, well, this wasn't a double-digit line last year, but that loss last year against Duke by five touchdowns. Everybody says, oh, the program's over. The, you know, the, this is the beginning of the end. People are looking at Justin Fuente's buyout figure, and they're saying, that how, do they, how can they make this happen? They go down to Miami the next week as 14-point underdogs. They win that game uh, outright. Hendon Hooker making his first start there. Uh, so this will be Miami and Virginia Tech. This could be a great quarterback matchup. First of all, I mean, Hendon Hooker's playing at a high level. Derek King is playing incredible uh, through for 435 touchdowns last week. Uh, yeah, I feel like we, when we get Miami and Virginia Tech together, you usually think of like the athletes these teams have on defense. This year, uh, I think this could be a very entertaining game uh, offensively. Is this one that you, you uh, might enjoy watching in the noon hour just because it has a chance it's, to score It's going to be one of the better noon games, absolutely, in the ACC. And the interesting thing to me, and you know, I, I only looked this up right now as you brought it up, Vegas Insider says this over-under open at 58.5 is up to 67.5. I don't know if that's a glitch on their system or if people jumped and pounced on that initial over-under line. But I do expect they're... 57 seems low. That seems low. For well, it's now 67 and a half. I mean, that's a lot. I could see it, could but see that's that. a lot. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, Miami had no business winning last week's game. That was a classic NC State Dave Doran performance where you're up, I think, double digits in the fourth quarter and you lose. Um, Derek King's really, really good. He's easily the best quarterback Miami has had since Corey Harris, if not, you know, further back. Uh, you do wonder if he you know, has too much on his shoulders, if he doesn't have enough help. Um, I, I look at the Miami team, and I just they, – they've taken care of business. You know, they lost to Clemson the way almost everyone loses to Clemson. I, I, I don't know if they have the playmakers of, of Miami past, especially in the passing game, that um, can help that quarterback out, that can consistently make plays downfield, um, that, that can be a threat on every single play. Um, firstly, I don't know if Virginia Tech's defense is up for the task of slowing them down either, um, as you said. So um, I, I'm, I'm surprised Virginia Tech's favored. I mean, I know they're home, but but coming off la- that result last week, it's it's a curious line. Um, but I've, I've seen a lot of curious lines in the ACC this year, especially the double-digit ones. Um, those are the ones, and I, po- I posted this um, on our site after the Miami comeback last week. I believe Miami was a 10- or 11-point favorite. Um, at NC State, they end up winning by less than that. Um, after NC State covered against Miami, double-digit underdogs in ACC games approved a 17-6-1 against the spread. Uh, oh, so that's a good stat. That's a money-making hopefully, stat. Hopefully, right the uh, don't or maybe you want to fade that one. I don't know. E- either way, to see a two-point line and to see the team coming off a loss to a, a, an F, a group of five team. Being in the favorite position there is surprising. Now, I think part of that is Miami's probably due for another loss. And I hate to speak of those generalities when when they've taken care of business, but I I don't know if I see anything all that remarkable about this Miami team outside of their quarterback. And I I, I think they're not a good enough team to to run the table the rest of the way. Uh, Which, by the way... uh, Pete Samson did his research on this. I was wondering if there was a three-way tie with one loss piece between Clemson, Notre Dame, and Miami, if Miami had a path in the ACC title game. But Miami would not because of the common opponents. Um, Miami would be 0-1, Clemson would be 1-1, Notre Dame would be 1-0, and Miami would be the odd team out there. 
yeah, up, uphill battle for Miami to get into this uh, serious conversation to the top. I, th- I think you're right. Uh, you know, like the more remarkable about the fact that Miami is the underdog here. So they're a top ten team. They're number nine, and they're a two point underdog on the road against a team that just lost to Liberty. Um, I, I think when you look at the the big picture of the results and just don't quite look at the record, you go a, a loss will find you if you're having some struggles in certain spots and. Uh, you know, Miami is just not very consistent. The, the defense is not played like a Miami defense, at least last week. Uh, you know, I, I guess that was maybe sort of the outlier uh, to previous weeks. But, uh, man, I, I just don't know about Virginia Tech and that defense. And uh, they've played two mobile quarterbacks the last two weeks, uh, Malik Cunningham at Louisville, Malik Willis for Liberty, and both of them have just sort of torn this defense apart. Now they were able to win the, the Louisville game because the offense was good enough and they forced some turnovers. Uh, unless this defense is forcing some turnovers this game, I think it's going to be a, a long day defensively for the Hokies, which is I was to say, what, they're just what, not used to. What's that, that been like there? I mean, we talked about the tra- transition a few years ago, Just Fuente. What's the transition been like to a Bud Foster-less defense um, in Blacksburg? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, you think it would be pretty seamless because Justin Hamilton was a Bud Foster protege. I mean, he played for him eventually his last year as a player. Uh, he came back as an assistant coach was on that staff. Bud recommended him for the job, but... There are some schematic changes that they're trying. They're they're uh, changing things a little bit with the front and uh, you know gaps and stuff like that. They're playing a little bit more zone coverage in the back end. We've talked to players. They say the defense is a bit more complicated than it was before, but that it's uh, they made it sound a little more versatile to be able to adapt to different things that the the offense is doing. But they're just not making tackles. They're one of the worst tackling teams in the ACC this year. Uh, just on the ground, they're giving up uh, among the most yards before contact and among the most yards after contact in the ACC, and that is a bad combination. Um, I think part of the issue is that this has been a declining talent on the defensive side for a couple years, and th- I mean this, you know, predated this coaching change. I mean, they just don't have the playmakers and the difference makers on defense that they used to have. Uh, and you're looking at this defense now, and 
Uh, you don't want to use the get off the bus, uh, like, you know, first guy off the bus thing as a, a measure of how good a defense is because guys can be good that don't look like, you know, Rayshard Ashby is a good player, maybe not having the best season this year, but he doesn't look like you would build a linebacker in the lab. Uh, Div- Divine Diablo is at free safety. Uh, you know, his, his former roommate Josh Jackson joked that he looked like the mannequin, like those mannequins that model the uniforms. Uh, but he's about the only one like that on the defensive side. They're just not a, a long athletic unit on that side. And I think some of that is catching up to this program finally. And that's not something you fix with mm-hmm. uh, scheming necessarily or anything like that. You need to fix in some recruiting. So I don't know if this is a quick fix uh, for Virginia Tech. Uh, just to, let's get through some of the other games here because I want to hit on everybody in the conference. Wake Forest at North Carolina. That's an interesting one to me. Uh, Carolina is a 13.5-point favorite. Uh, I've seen Wake Forest beat this Virginia Tech team. Uh, you just did a story on, on Boogie Basham this week. You were on the Wake Forest is not as bad as people are saying train very I'm on that train every year. They've outperformed uh, their preseason ACC ranking each of the last five years. Well, but I know I just say it because you said it earlier this year when I was writing them off, and you're like, "Don't forget about Wake Forest here." So, is this a game that the Tar Heels should be winning? Absolutely. Um, I don't say that like, "Oh, Wake's going to go in there and win," but uh, very easily. But they beat them last year. Um, it's an in-state rival that they don't get to play a whole lot anymore. I mean, last year's game was a non-conference game. If that tells you anything about uh, the ACC scheduling philosophy, <laughs> so dumb, um, so dumb. Wake's won four straight games. Um, it's been pretty quiet outside of that Virginia Tech win, but, I mean, they've, they've played really good football. Um, Sam Hartman's a good quarterback. I was Jamie Newman was great last year um, for, for most of the season, but I, I, there just wasn't a whole lot of angst about having to replace him because Sam Hartman had started before him as a true freshman in 2018 when he probably wasn't ready yet, and now is a junior who is ready and is stronger, quicker, and better. Um, he's a good leader. Um, the defense is better. I mean, with the style of offense Wake plays, I don't know if they're ever going to have a high-ranking defense statistically, but they have playmakers on that side of the ball, particularly Boogie Basham, um, who can force takeaways and, and can make big plays. Um, and North Carolina is, I mean, you saw it up close. I mean, they can be as dangerous as anyone in the country offensively when they are on. I mean, they just have such a deadly combination of elite quarterback, elite running backs, you know, you try to take away one, we'll just burn you with the other. Um, they're also a very young team that doesn't always show up for fourth qu- four quarters. And no one learned that better than Virginia and Florida State. Because uh, North Carolina, the way you saw them play the second halves of both those games, you thought they did this for four quarters, they'd be a top five team in the country. And they actually were ranked fifth going into the Florida State game because the Big Ten hadn't played yet. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I, Carolina is good enough to beat anybody and and – and sloppy enough to lose anybody. So I think they're a team that's absolutely worth keeping an eye on the rest of the year, especially when they host Notre Dame in a couple of weeks uh, on Black Friday, because that's going to be a game that um, I want to say the Irish will lose, but definitely capable of losing um, if they don't bring their A game to Chapel Hill. Uh, Wake Forest is a smart team that, 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 generally speaking, doesn't turn the ball over, makes the smart plays. Um, they seem to have found their answer at running back. Um, you thought after they lost Coburn last year that that, that would be an area that they, they'd struggle to, to to move the chains in, but they seem to be just fine there. Um, and they're past the ball all right, even without Sage Charette, which, again, you know, I think when you lose as many skilled players as Wake does and when you're at Wake, you can't just plug these guys in the way you do at Miami or Clemson, um, there is some concern there. But you know, quarterback, running back, receiver um, 
have not seemed to be too big of an issue so far. Um, the buy, I, I would think, helps. Um, certainly doesn't hurt. Um, and I, don't know, I mean, it's a game that I'm very. I mean, what, what did I just say earlier about, about double digit uh, underdogs? This game is a opened as a oh, yeah. 17 point North Carolina favorite, down to 13 and a half. I mean. I'm not saying bet all your money on Wake Forest because I think if Carolina wins this game and shows up and plays their game the way they do, I mean, they could make this like the NC State game where it looks close for like a quarter and then it's like 42-21 or something. But I don't know. I, I, I feel a lot more confident in Wake not losing by that much than I do North Carolina winning by that much just because, again, Carolina's just a really, really tough team to get a read on. Yeah, I can't, I can't figure UNC out. They're kind of like Virginia Tech. A, be, a, a better, but, but uh, a little bit better, more exciting, explosive offensively team. Yeah, I, they're just one week they're unstoppable, and the next week you're losing to Florida State. How does that happen? I mean, Florida State, anybody losing to Florida State this year uh, should hang their heads about a game like that. Wake Forest, I mean, they had that postponement of the Notre Dame game. That seems like it might be a really big deal, and I, like if they have to play that game, and I think they would have been if they lose right. that they're zero and three. Does the season just no? Kind of that's spiral a good. From that? That's that a good point. Like a and you know, again, they're a team that that you know because of their makeup usually gets better throughout the course of the season. And that was a game too. Talking to people in Notre Dame going into the Clemson game, um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of angst of you know, oh, you know, Notre Dame hasn't played anybody. What are they going to do against Clemson? The best team they played was Louisville, and they only won by five. I mean, there, there were people inside the football complex in Notre Dame who were like, we really do wish we could have got that Wake Forest game. And, you know, even if they're 0-3, even if they're not great, they're still better than probably everyone we've played and are dynamic enough offensively that at least our kids would have had some form of training, if you will, defending uh, an offense that can beat you a number of different ways and, and, and prep you a little bit for, for what you're about to see against Clemson because Clemson's so far above and beyond everyone else they play on their schedule so far. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't – Notre Dame beats number one, and so logic dictates, hey, they're going to win all their games till Clemson. And they probably will. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time seeing myself picking them to lose between now and the ACC title game. But uh, that second half of the season for Notre Dame is a hell of a lot more difficult than the first half when you talk about at Boston College, who um, is dangerous, if nothing else, at – North Carolina after a bye on Black Friday. You get Syracuse at home, which you hope can even feel the team by that point on December 5th. And then you go to Wake Forest the week before the ACC title game. Who, Again, I don't think you're in danger of losing that game if you're Notre Dame. But, I mean, it's a team you've played a lot. It's a team that knows you really well. It's a team where uh, I wouldn't say there's rivalry developing. There's more of a mutual respect there. I mean, you look at Notre Dame staff. Clark Lee, former Wake Forest Coach Mike Lee, Mike Elko before that, which was a former Wake Forest defense coordinator. Bill Reese, Notre Dame's director of scouting, was one of Dave Clawson's right hand men before that. I mean, there's so much familiarity between both those programs that, um, you know, it's not one you can just look past. Um, the, the, they played in 2018 um, in week four, and Notre Dame was 3 0 going to that game, and a very popular pick that week to get upset until they. Shocked everyone and threw in this three-star quarterback by the name of Ian Book as a starter who completely turned that offense around and, and, and had everyone, you know, scratching their heads about, you know, re-examining the identity and the, the ceiling for that team, which, of course, ended up going to the playoff that year. So, uh, I, I mean, it, it's going to be a fun noon window in the ACC this Saturday, which 
usually can't say when there's only one game. <laughs> um, and now that there are two, I mean, I'll have both TVs working overtime um, Saturday because uh, I, I think both those games can go either way. All right, let's hit these last three games uh, real quickly here. Louisville at Virginia. Virginia, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I'm intrigued by UVA. Uh, they, they go out and they beat UNC last time out. Uh, Charles Snowden looks like he's really rounding into form. He had four sacks in that game against the Tar Heels. Uh, feels like UVA is a different team yep. when Brennan Armstrong is the quarterback. He, he got a little dinged up at the end of that UNC game. This was a postponement from the previous week, uh, COVID issues at, at Louisville. Probably helps UVA give Brennan Armstrong a little bit more time to get ready for this game. Uh, what do you see in this one? Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely a different team with Brennan Armstrong under center. I mean, they, they, they gave Clemson a good game. I mean, they were never in, in danger of winning that game. But, like, they – I mean, we all saw what happened last time they played Clemson. I mean, it was like the varsity versus the JV, and that was not the case this year. I mean, Virginia held their own for, for two and a half quarters or so in Death Valley at night. Um, I need to know – what Louisville's status is on the defensive line. I mean, they were they, they had to postpone that game last week because they were basically down to three scholarship guys there. Uh, you don't know what the reacclimatization period is like for the guys who had to be held out, whether it was for, for testing positive or for contact tracing. Um, but I think Louisville is a team that's, that's much better than its record has shown uh, so far this season. Um, I think I like Louisville in this one. I think they're a team in the same way that, you know, we said Miami is a team that's vulnerable enough to get got down the stretch here. I think Louisville's a lot better than the record indicates. Um, and I think they're, 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 they're due for a win like this. Uh, I did find it very interesting and hilarious and um, we'll get a chance to watch this game now um, free of distraction. Vince Tyra, the Louisville athletic director during his uh, zoom press conference last week, announcing the postponement <laughs> unsolicited said, um, the game will be at 3.30 next Saturday, meaning we won't be at 8 o'clock on the ACC Network going against Clemson Notre Dame. So we'll have a lot of more people watching. So I, I will like that. Um, I, I appreciate the self-deprecating nature of the Louisville Athletic Director uh, recognizing what the biggest game in uh, his, his league was that weekend. Um, I still don't think Louisville-Virginia is the biggest game of this weekend, but um, it's got its own window, and it will have a, quite a few more viewers, especially with nothing else going on in the country, hopefully, um, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I think that could be an entertaining game just because I think both teams are going to score in bunches. Uh, you know, There's one thing Louisville has. It's an offense that scares you just with those kind of skilled players there. So uh, could be a high-scoring one. Always enjoy watching those kind of games. Uh, Pittsburgh, six-and-a-half-point favorite at Georgia Tech. Pittsburgh had <laughs> these stats. I saw this last week at Florida State. Fourteen-and-a-half tackles for loss, seven sacks, three interceptions. Pittsburgh uh, broke yes, Florida State. I saw the Pit- <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess when I saw that Paris Ford had opted out uh, for Pittsburgh, that I, I thought uh, maybe they're kind of packing it in this season. Is this uh, a team? That's that what Pitt wants you to think. Whatever you think about Pitt, or, you bet the opposite, all <laughs> right? Or is this just Florida State is such a, a disaster right now? that uh, Fl- Florida State, who beat, uh, beat North Carolina. Um, it would be very Pitt of Pitt to lose this game at Georgia Tech. It would be very... Young, rah-rah Jeff Collins, year two, kind of program win to, to rise up and punch above their weight and, and catch Pitt off guard off the high of last week in this game. Do I think that happens? Probably not. 
Um, but I hedge my bets with everything when it, it involves the Pittsburgh Panthers football team. Uh, I just think that's the only way to live right now. Um, week to week, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. I was under the same impression that you were. Like, all right, it was a nice three weeks. This season's done. See you next year. And then they go out and win 41-17 last week on the road in Tallahassee. Um, the thing with Georgia Tech is they're just – they're young and you – know, I hate to use the word dumb, but they're young and, and, and they're, they make silly mistakes. I mean, they turn the ball over so much that they never really give themselves a chance to really realize their talent. And I think they're going to be a really good team in about two years. They're just not there yet. Uh, but we've seen you know, Louisville, perfect example, on that Friday night last month. Louisville turns the ball over three times. Georgia Tech makes them pay. Um, they, they, they end up winning by 20-something points, which nobody saw coming. Um, I, I don't know if you can get that out of this young team this late in the season, um, but, but I also know better than to count on Pittsburgh to go in there and, and win by a touchdown. I mean, uh, can I just can I sit out every Pittsburgh game the rest of the season? Now, hey, you were giving me crap for saying yes, Notre Dame was going to kill them a few weeks ago, and that one I did feel good about, but um, I, I just... I don't know what to do with this team. I don't. Yeah, and, and Georgia Tech's another one where it's just like, like I get mailbag questions like, oh, do we, when is Jeff Collins? Georgia Tech's young. They have ex, they have an excuse. Said, I mean, you said, not excuse, but right, right. You said year, you said year two. This is really almost year one. I mean, if there's no, ever been I mean, a year zero for a coach to uncondition a group offense, of guys uh, who to hear other people in the ACC tell it probably weren't ACC football players uh, at most schools and then teach them like a completely different sport almost i mean when you really think about it it's different it's completely different so look they play hard they had a lot of upperclassmen stick around which i think is, is a, a good kind of validation for a new staff because usually those are the first guys to to get out of dodge um i, I think i think jeff collins will have that program in good position in a couple of years um and i think that makes them dangerous on any given saturday against a team like Pittsburgh, uh, if they can get out of their own way. All right, last and possibly <laughs> least, uh, Florida State at NC State. NC State is a 10-point favorite in this game. I mean, are the Seminoles just a dead team walking at this point? This week, this is what happened after after last week. Uh, defensive tackle Marvin Wilson, offensive tackle uh, Devontae Love-Taylor, season-ending injuries. Uh, Marvin Wilson, one of the best defensive linemen in the league. Uh, receiver Tamari and Terry is no longer with the team. James Blackman is going to transfer. He wasn't starting. He'll be like a 20th year senior on wherever he ends like, up next year. Yeah, this just feels like everything is falling apart at Florida State. I mean, is this just a lost cause the rest of the season? Or what, what can Mike Norvell do the rest of this year to, to build any kind of momentum? This is like a complete guess and like trying to see like the hat, glass half full side of things if you're Florida State. If you're Mike Norvell, like screw it. I don't care what happened the last three and a half years. This is my program now. Um, I'm playing all my young guys. I mean, this is a free year, essentially, eligibility-wise. I don't think there's any risk or harm in doing that. Throw all your guys out there. See what happens. Let them get the reps. If they win, great. If they don't, hey, you tried. I mean, I wrote this team off a thousand times this season, and then Jordan Travis came in, and look, they haven't been good, but like, he lit a fire under them. I mean, I don't think anyone in their right mind thought they would put 26 points up at Notre Dame or beat North Carolina. Um, and it showed like 
it's not a quick fix by any means, but like there are little things when you have a, a roster with that kind of talent that's been beating around so much that, that can light a fire under them and spark them. And in that case, it was a quarterback who knew what he was doing and who that offense believed in. I mean, I think he led them to five straight touchdown drives against Jacksonville State, who, yes, is Jacksonville State is an FCS team, but was winning that game until Jordan Travis came in. Take, <laughs> exactly, take what you can exactly. get, Florida State, um, baby steps. I don't know if I have enough faith in Dave Dort or NC State to ever um, feel comfortable with them being a double-digit favorite over anyone. <laughs> so that's why I'm maybe leaning a little more toward Florida State, at least in the Vegas department, for this one. Um, I think I'll be watching Wisconsin-Michigan instead of Florida State-NC State. How about that? For an, uh, another brand yeah, name that's fallen off the map and might have quit on this coach. <laughs> Just very quickly, I wanted to ask you about NC State. They're four and three in the ACC. I never would have guessed that if you didn't uh, say that. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 they have games left against Florida State at Syracuse and versus Georgia Tech in the ACC. Now they have Liberty. Watch out for Liberty. Liberty will come and get you and snatch that number three spot in the ACC. The Wolfpack could very. It's very reasonable to think this team could be seven and three in the ACC after being 1-7 and seven in the ACC this year. Now, they got such a schedule break this year. They, did, they missed Clemson and Notre Dame. The, the next tier of teams, Virginia Tech, UNC, Miami, they've lost to all three of those. Uh, so 7-3 and three is maybe a little bit uh, paper house there. Uh, you know, they had COVID issues early. They lost their quarterback. What do you, if you're an NC State fan, how would you feel about the season if you finish 7-3? and three? I feel like you'd have to be ecstatic about that, even if like you beat the teams that you were supposed to and didn't really – play well against the, the top teams and miss the, the top, I think, top teams. I think there's two parts to that question. I think if you're Dave Doran and that NC State football program, you're thrilled because you get to point to the exact numbers you said. Look at the turnaround we had. Look at what we had to deal with uh, between injuries at the quarterback position, COVID, you name it. Um, we went out there and we won 70% of our league games. Like On paper, great job Like because I don't think I'm alone when I, I, I kind of wrote him and that program off coming into this year. Um, that said, when you talk about schedule breaks this year, Andy, they did not play. I don't count Notre Dame because Notre Dame is a game that's forced on them through the ACC. They did not play, I believe, a Power 5 non-conference team in the Dave Torrin tenure until 2017 against South Carolina, I believe. Um, from 13, that's 13, 14, 15, 16. That's four years of, of basically patsies plus Notre Dame in your non-conference. Uh, they are the king of empty calories. Um, and, and that's a program that, you know, it's a, it's a weird year to make this comparison because you don't have the, the normal environment. But, I mean, you've been to games there, right? I mean, it's it, it's like an SEC environment. Like, I look at that place, I think, why can't they be what Virginia Tech was under Frank Beamer? Like, I just think it's a great part of the country. There's tons of talent. You can get kids into school there. I was there last year. I, I was in the area working on a couple stories in the Triangle. So I went to... Uh, Thursday night game, Syracuse, NC State, two teams that finished, I believe, four and eight last year. And it felt like the tailgates, at least, felt like Tennessee, Alabama. Like, they had this natural resource that I think 90% of the programs in the country would kill for. And I don't know if they fully capitalized on it. They've recruited well. I I think when you look at the number of guys they have performing at a high level in the NFL right now, um, they've been able to identify and recruit good players. Um, but even in a year like this one, where if they were to finish 7-3, which is crazy to say out loud, I never would have considered until you just brought that up here, but but it's definitely a realistic possibility with a loss of Liberty. Uh, still a very realistic possibility. Um, 
you look at that program, you still think they're in some ways they're they're less than the sum of their parts. Uh, so, and I think fans or fans there are. Uh, I think they're smart in their understanding. I think they they want better and deserve better. Um, I think they know that this will be used as a data point to justify the same thing that's been going on there since 2013. And I don't think Dave Dorn is to have done a bad job. I just don't think they've done a great job. And I think the fact we have some version of this conversation every single year, I believe he's got three contract extensions since he's been there, and he's been on the hot seat at least that much um, since he's been there. Um, I don't know if you can live as a program like that year to year with, with, with that hovering over you. Well, whatever you do, NC State, do not give him a contract extension based on this year. That would be bad business. Matt, we're going to give you two more. I need to be a five-time co-host. Yes, because you're <laughs> so good every time you come on. Uh, everybody go follow Matt on Twitter uh, at Matt underscore Fortuna, F-O-R-T-U-N-A. Uh you get you can go and look at his room raider picture it's it's very nice eight out of ten i've got to upgrade my, my wife was moving some books around yesterday and i said do not mess with this if we fall to a seven like our our social status on twitter sphere is just going to, to to fall and be greatly diminished don't live it don't live in fear go for it go for the 10 you can do it matt thank you so thanks, much thanks any time brother all right that's going to do it for this show uh, thanks, everybody, for coming back and listening to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you go, if you listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is, go and rate and review us. Uh, get the word out for the podcast. You know, do word of mouth, too. Tell a friend about it uh, if they're not necessarily uh, seeing stuff, uh, the kind of ratings that we can get out there. Uh, it helps us uh, get the word out, get a bigger audience. Uh, we can listen to you guys and talk about what you guys want to talk about it. Uh, we really like it. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic what are you waiting for? Go do it right now. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash pod. We have a deal right now, $1 a week. Uh, that's a pretty good deal. That's about $4 a month. Uh, that's a very low price. Think of what you spend $4 a month on. Uh, it, it, you're probably spending money less wisely than you would be on The Athletic where you can get everything in every sport. Uh, listen to this podcast ad-free. Uh, think of all the national writers, Matt Fortuna, Andy Staples, Stuart Mandel. That's just on college football. Bruce Feldman, Nicole Auerbach. I mean, it goes on, on and on and on. That's how many you can get by subscribing right now. Uh, go follow me on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. I'll be covering the Virginia Tech-Miami game this weekend and probably have some crazy finish to talk about next week because that's what Virginia Tech football does each and every week. So we'll be back next week to talk a little bit more ACC. We'll talk to you then.